Hello, and welcome to the Buddhist Recovery Network podcast. Today, we are excited to share with you a talk between Harvey Webb and Vimala Sara. Before we get into that, we'd like to remind you of some Academy dates coming up. On September 5th, we are very excited to have Fresh Lev White joining us. And on October 3rd, we are also excited to have Ven Panavati Bhikkhuni joining us. For more information about those dates, as well as other activities such as our morning sit, please go to our website at BuddhistRecovery.org. Now, without further ado, here is our podcast with Harvey Webb. Oh, hello there. Welcome, everyone. My name's Harvey, Harvey Webb. And um, what do I do? I live in Brighton in the United Kingdom on a boat in the Brighton Marina. And my work-wise, I work for the local drug and alcohol service in Brighton for a charity called Change, Grow, Live, where I train peer mentors to support people in early recovery in the community here in Brighton and Hove. That's me. And um, I'm also, um, yeah, the founder of Sun Lotus Recovery. At the moment, I'm quite fascinated that you you live on a boat. I've got um, some good friends (laughs) who live on a boat. What's what's that like, living on a boat? It's very nice this time of year because the summer's here in the UK. So it's very, very pleasant. I, and when, I, when I'm, in, when I'm out, out on the back, they've got the back of the boat there. I open it all up in the sun and I could be anywhere. I feel like maybe I'm in Antigua or somewhere like that. But in the winter, it's a bit harsh because of the, the weather here in England, especially in the winter, isn't that pleasant. So it can be quite cold, but it's a small boat. So it heats up quite quickly and i've been living on this boat for three years now so i'm kind of used to it with myself and my partner uh, yeah i'm kind of used to it but i like it and it's um affordable what made i like you... to travel right actually affordable living is really important that's really important and what made you choose to live on a boat you and your partner well funnily enough my um other buddhist friend pete is his boat and he retired a few years ago and i have a house in the philippines so he said why don't you live on the boat and i'll go and live in your house in the philippines so at the moment he's in the philippines in lockdown unfortunately and yeah we took over his boat he's a he's a marine biologist and the boat's called fourth time lucky because he had three shipwrecks in his career as a marine biologist as a marine biologist so the irony is the boat is called fourth time lucky that's why i'm living on the boat but i think as i got, said it's affordable i think you've got the short straw there i think i would choose the philippines yeah. over 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 the boat okay well, that's, that's the long-term plan but at the moment i'm still having to work for a living so sure sure well, let's let's talk about Sun Sun Lotus. This this recovery program, as we know, we've just seen so many different iterations of recovery programs just mushroom over the past 
decade or so. And here we have your program, Sun Lotus Recovery. Tell me about that. Well, really, it was born out of my own experience. I've been a practicing Michigan social Buddhist for over 30 years now. And um, I had, a, I, before this incarnation, if you like, my previous career was working in um, theater. And um, uh, so I worked in technical theater with lighting, stage production, touring. And it was a very drug and alcohol fueled industry. And I eventually had a lot of problems with drugs and alcohol. Um, I had a long history of it, actually, in, in my past. It goes way back. And um, I went to rehab. And I used my practice in rehab to be the foundation of my recovery. And I came out of rehab and thought, what am I going to do now? And then um, somebody said, you met a great drug and alcohol worker. So I'd retrained to be a drug and alcohol worker. And I always had this um, idea of, because I, I never got on with the 12-step fellowships. I could never, I went to all of them. And because of the God aspect, I just, and the higher power thing as a Buddhist, it just didn't really sit well with me. Uh, and I also know a lot of other people who had the same experience really and as my knowledge and understanding of addiction and the different models sort of progressed um, I had this idea of putting together a Buddhist um, program as an alternative to the 12-step program but based not on the disease model based on the behavioral model and using Western science in that behavioral model and then fusing it with Western, uh, Eastern Dharma, Buddhist Dharma. And hence the uh, Sun Lotus Recovery Program was born. Um, it uses Western science as in the neuroscience. So I do the programs in three phases, physical, uh, mental and emotional. And yeah. And so then, let me let me pause you there. I kind of the yeah. programs in three stages: physical, mental, emotional. But um, for the sake of lis listeners, what is the Western science model? All right, okay. Uh, in there's two main BA, uh, models of addiction used in the West. Really, one being the prevalent one, which is the disease model. That the, the, the addiction is a brain, a, a chronic brain disease. Uh, that is progressive and fatal uh, and the only way to cure it is through the 12 steps so you total abstinence of course and then work in the 12-step program the other model is that um, it's a learned behavior it's a uh, the social learning model it's a learned behavior and it becomes a behavioral disorder another like another compulsive obsessive disorder and the way to treat it is through cognitive behavioral therapy or versions of it, you know. So you, for me, you've got the SMART program now, you know, which was come out in the 90s, which is based on REBT, which is a form of cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and acceptance and commitment therapy as well is not another big therapy that people use in recovery. So we use cognitive behavioral therapy, Western neuroscience, um, I would say, and then psychology, and, and then psychology, de developmental psychology, really, and also, I would say, a transactional analysis to look at codependency. 
Okay, so you you talk about that, and you also say that you're using Eastern uh, modalities from the Buddhist teachings. Tell us about that. Well, because cognitive behavioral therapy is all about self awareness, really, and saying that you can't change something until you become aware of it. So, in Eastern Dharma, in Eastern, in uh, of course, Buddhism is all about self-actualization and and, and 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 enlightenment so really i feel it's taking western behavioral sciences and cognitive behavioral therapy to its ultimate conclusion really so it's you know it's like becoming more and more and more self-aware so if you fuse that with the teachings of um buddhism which is all about um, becoming totally self-aware or enlightened to the true nature of reality and life it fuses very well really so i always say to people your self-awareness can take you so far but this buddhist dharma can conclude your journey if you like to complete self-awareness and enlightenment to what you are and what your position in the universe is <laughs> i mean you mentioned the disease model you mentioned the behavior model and more and more we're hearing about the trauma model where does the trauma model fit into this, the Sun Lotus recovery program? I, mean, I think really because of the nature of the Dharma, it can be applicable. You, you know, I mean, I know in my own recovery, I, I took things from different models just that related and resonated with my life, especially like in the 12 steps, I quite like the denial aspect um, because uh, I was definitely in denial for quite a while. And I think that it could fit in with a trauma-related model as well, because really it's about unhealthy coping mechanisms. And that, you know, in the learned behavioral model, it's saying that, you know, your internal reality, due to whatever your karma was or whatever your uh, whatever whatever you're dealing with in your in your life, um, you self-medicate, you cope with those uncomfortable emotions. You know what by using a substance or a behavior be it you know drugs and alcohol or sex or gambling or food or whatever so really in the trauma gabor mate he's the big man about that isn't he it's enough for me buddhism is the ultimate if you like healthy coping mechanism i mean it's interesting you say that because i always say that the buddhist teachings um, are the oldest uh, recovery programs that we know of to date because yeah. if we if we if we go back to the Buddha's first discourse, he talks about that there is addiction to hedonism, and there's addiction to self mortification, and both are lowly, unprofitable, and unwise. And there is mm. the the middle way, and mm. and I love that you talk about the the denial in in the twelve sets program because for me when I think of denial I love that the 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 acronym acronym denial don't even notice I am lying which is something that we uh those of us who have addictions need to be really aware of that but I want to come back to uh the Sun Lotus recovery program because many of our listeners they are people who go to meetings or people who are looking for rehabs or are looking for an alternative program. So where does some Lotus recovery sit? Is it, is it like a, a meeting base, like the 12 steps or is it a rehab or is it a program? Where, where does it sit? Well, currently, I mean, my, my 
dream, if you like, would be to have a, a more intense intervention in a, in a rehab setting. But at the moment, because I'm a kind of new kid on the block, um, we, we, I was delivering it with a charity here in Brighton called Cascade Creative Recovery. And they used to have a, ca- a cafe, a recovery cafe. And above the cafe was a room that they we put on various creative groups, really. And they allowed me to do Sun Lotus there. So that was when it started to develop. I was delivering it as a weekly group um upstairs at cascade cafe really uh and i've designed i did design a whole like eight to twelve week uh rehab um but what i've done is i've toned it down to 12 sessions now and i used to deliver that as a rolling program at cascade cafe and obviously since the pandemic everybody's gone on zoom so i'm now delivering which has its benefits as well as its downfalls it's a bit dehumanizing i think but you know a lot of people are anxious and they they don't they quite like going on zoom because it means they don't have to go out of the house and, and 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 face their anxieties and stuff so for them it's quite accessible so at the moment i'm running it on zoom um twice weekly so on the wednesday evening um we do the structured work with the handbook so i put all when we went i put everything into a handbook i used to go, give handouts and then when we went lockdown i thought what am i going to do i thought well everybody's got a handbook right smart got a handbook 12 steps got the big book you know dharma recovery got their got their handbook so i put everything together in a handbook and um published it self-published it on amazon and then so we work the handbook on a wednesday uh, in sequential so we've got 12 sessions as I said, going through the physical, the emotion, uh, the mental and the emotional aspects. And it's a 12-week rolling program. And then on a Friday, we have just a check-in and a chat, much more informal, because a lot of people, maybe it's their first time they're meeting the Dharma, you know, and they may have questions about that. So it's more informal. We have a check-in. How's your practice going? Because I, I teach literary and social practice of chanting meditation. Uh, and it's much more informal and we're having our first um, public meeting again now, actually, this Friday, uh, for the first time since the pandemic started. So we're going to do that at Cascade again. Fantastic. Mm. Fantastic. So this this program, where does it sit in terms of money? Do people have to pay or is it by donation? Uh, do people have to sign up to be on the course and do the whole 12 weeks? Is it, is it no. drop in? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously in the perfect world, you start at session one and you finish at 12. But um, people come in all the time and it's designed, it's a rolling program. So if you keep coming, you eventually do all the sessions. So uh, and then you eventually get uh, it's, you know, it, 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 you can pick it up. Um, it's free for everyone, apart from the handbook, of course, because uh, you have to buy that off Amazon because that's the nobody would want to publish my book when I sent it out to it because I'm a new kid on the block, really. So I sent out the handbook to various publishers, but nobody wanted to publish it. So I self-published it and, and I did it. On, I'm a bit loath to use Amazon because it's it's kind of like the beast, if you know what I mean. But that was the only. Um, format i could use so i published it on amazon can i plug my book now then should i give you a <laughs> sure plug 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 the book. this is the opportunity to plug the book okay so here it is it's called climbing the mountain the complete handbook of buddhist recovery an a to z of addiction great and people and, and, and it's available <laughs> on amazon 
Okay, fantastic. And that's the only that's the only fee we pay really because what we do in the structured groups we do a session each week and we read together through through the through the group and then discuss. And what you find is is that us people who have this behavioral disorder called addiction, we have so many shared experiences, you know, and and every and it resonates with so with basically everyone in in the group or the room if we're doing it in a, in a more human setting. So I want to unpack this program a bit more because several times you've spoken about the physical, the mental, the emotional. So what does that look like when you're focusing on the physical? What does that look like and on the mental and on the emotional? Okay. So to start with, when I came out of rehab, obviously it was a journey of like what just happened to me, you know, like 30 years of self-abuse and self-harm, you know. Uh, and I didn't, they didn't teach me much about it, uh, the neuroscience of addiction. So I was just fascinated by that. And then I became across a neuroscientist called Mark Lewis. He's quite a famous neuroscientist. And he wrote a book called The Biology of Desire and Memoirs of an Addicted Brain. And I just, it was a, ma it was a magical light bulb moment for me when I saw him lecture. At the, the, uh, there's a YouTube lecture of him at the Royal Institute. Uh, and it was, um, it was a light bulb moment because he talks about... Um, um, brain development really being quite a natural thing and he's saying that you know there's you know they in the disease model they say oh, yes but the brain changes what about the brain changes and it says well that's quite normal that the brain changes you know the brain changes throughout life it's and then i started to understand um, neuroplasticity uh, uh and basically how the disease uh, the, the disorder develops in your brain and what you can do then to manage that. So it goes into the neuroscience of it and then looking at um, neurons and the way the brain communicates and um, neural and uh, the reward system and dopamines and neurotransmitters, etc. So that's the physical aspect of it. Um, another guy that inspires me is a guy called Rick Hansen, who wrote The Buddha's Brain. He's quite another famous neuroscientist. And I like both those guys' work because, um, and I think, especially Mark Lewis, he, he appreciates a Buddhist approach as well. Because, as you said, Buddhism looks at addiction as a kind of normal human affliction, really. Or as I like to say, we're all addicted to earthly desires and we're all in denial of our Dharma nature. So, um, yeah, so we look at that. So then I, and I used to give, deliver a lecture to a, a detox group on a Monday morning and I do the brain science. I adapted it, talking about the different parts of the brain, you know, the reptilian complex, the limbic and the prefrontal cortex and the human brain and where the where the, the, the cravings are and how it develops. And everybody loved it. It was one of the favorite groups. Nobody ever developed it before because it lets them know what's wrong with them. You know, this is what's wrong with your brain. This is how you've developed this disorder and this is how you're going to be able to manage it through you know neuroplasticity and focus and attention or in a buddhist term meditation so that's the that's the physical aspect and then we start to look at the uh the uh the mental aspect so we start looking then it's classic cbt stuff so we're looking at drug related beliefs um 
and then we look at or what they call stinking thinking which i quite like out of the 12-step model the concept of stinking thinking or these neural pathways that you've continually used that always lead to picking up a drug or using a drink or acting out you know i'll feel better if is a classic one isn't it um you know i've been so good i deserve it so you've got your relief beliefs and you know you've got your 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 reward beliefs and these are ingrained neural pathways in our brain that we've used over decades to which always leads to the same thing which is picking up and using or acting out in a in a, in a acting out in, in you know in, in 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 an unhealthy way so we look at those thinking patterns and then we also look at triggers and cravings and relapse prevention and different relapse prevention techniques so that part of the program if you'd like is a classic behavioral model so you we use relapse prevention cravings management and looking at cognitive looking at um, cognitive behavioral therapy and looking at different thinking and how to change that and then we come to the emotional part so i always from my i've been working now in drug and alcohol services for 12 years i've worked in drug and alcohol services and street outreach i did work for home with homeless people as well because uh, they kind of interlink if you if you've got an addiction it's quite often you'll end up with absolutely nothing living on the street you know um and it's not always the case but it's very you know it, it, it can happen and um people would say to me the triggers that really triggered them after a period of abstinence was boredom oh, i was bored i was bored or i was angry so we look at boredom and anger as emotions uh because they're big triggers so it's about getting self-awareness around those emotions all the all the um all the scientific part is all to do with about giving somebody self-awareness and developing the part of the brain that becomes self-aware um and then we look at uh, uh codependency because i didn't learn about codependency until i came out of rehab because my partner said to me if you don't come back to me i'm going to kill myself because i can't live without you you know sort of and i thought all right okay so i went back to this codependent relationship and i i had no self-awareness of how toxic that was and then i started to read and started to understand a little bit more about codependency so we look at the narcissist and the empath the codependent dance uh, which is classic kind of code stuff and also i work with transactional analysis and the drama triangle the um the the victim the abuser and the rescuer to give an insight into how the dynamics are of, of of what if you like is going on in a codependent relationship and what really is happening there and how there's no personal growth for anyone uh, and that's the that's one of the most popular parts of the program to say right. that you, well thank <laughs> you with my female clients <laughs> thank you for the nuts and bolts of, of of that i want to come back to each section with you in 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 the first section uh when you speak about the physical and you know when people are looking at the brain and this thing of what you realize what's wrong with you and i'm just wondering uh what you think about of just reframing that to what happened to you this is 
Oprah Winfrey has a new book out, which is called What Happened to You? Because often it's like, what's wrong with you? And I think, you know, definitely with people with addictions, that's what we carry, that something is actually wrong with us. And actually really flipping that to what happened to you. And how do you think you could integrate that into the, the brain science? I think, first of all, it gives, I, I found that with clients, they're just so happy that somebody's told them what went wrong. So, and that's an enlightening moment, you know, for them. I mean, that, because the whole point of Sun Lotus is about self-awareness. And I think from my personal journey, it was suddenly, I suddenly started to understand, you know, this traumatic experience because it, you know, when I look back at my life, it all started in my early puberty, late puberty adolescence, you know, my addiction. And then the trauma of it all through my 20s and my 30s and finally my life totally falling. I've managed to survive it. And then, you know, totally falling apart in my early 40s. And then that helped me to process, you know, the trauma of the self-harm that I'd inflict and the self-hate and I call it the holy trinity of addiction uh, uh, all addicts have which is guilt shame and self-hate self-loathing you know um so to process that holy trinity if you like of the self-hate and the shame and the guilt that went along with it and it kind of helped me understand why I was like I was uh, Buddhism obviously helped me understand that in a deeper sense but yeah, let's talk a bit about Buddhism because you still refer to people as addicts. And in the Buddhist teachings, one of the things that we're doing is letting go of these identities that we're attached to. Yeah. And does your program look at that to, to begin to move away from defining yourself as an alcoholic and addict? Or is your program... In the, in the same vein as the 12 steps where we strongly identify with what our addiction is? No, not at all. In fact, I work away from that. I try and make people understand that, you know, desire is a human part of human existence, you know, and that everybody is, it's, it's, it's the state of, we just happen to be on a spectrum and people with an addiction disorder are pretty far down the spectrum, if you know what I mean. Uh, Whereas other people are addicted to all sorts of other things, you know, in today's society. So it's kind of a state, it's more of an existential state of being, really, uh, than just being labelled as an addict or somebody that, you know, and all the stigma that goes with it. So I, I talk about recovery and I talk about becoming recovered. And then I talk about becoming enlightenment and fusing one's practice, one's practice recovery practice with one's buddhist practice and then because buddhism teaches especially the school that i belong to and i'm sure you know a lot about uh nichiren uh social buddhism or nichiren buddhism as a whole. yeah it's based on the math it's based on the lotus sutra i do want to i do want to get to that but before lose we, we are definitely gonna come to that let me just um can i just finish because it's so important sure. go on go on because Sorry. in the end we are buddha yeah, we are all Buddhas. We all have the potential to become enlightened living beings. Yeah, which is Buddha. Buddha is an enlightened one. So what I'm doing, telling people is about becoming. Yeah. So what you became before was a person who had this disorder because of your karma. But now you can become 
an enlightened being and become happy through that. So, and that's about self and relationship to self and understanding what self is. And then when one understands one is Buddha and, and can become Buddha, one leaves behind all those labels and attachments and views of self, if you like, that you had before. Just for the sake of our listeners, when we talk about becoming Buddha, we talk about becoming awake. That's what the word Buddha means, is, 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 yeah. is awake. And that's really yeah. great. I want to just um, move on. I totally agree with that. That's very nice. Thank you. Yeah. Um, in the emotional part, there's, there's oh, actually more the mental part. There's a lot around cognitive behavior therapy. And one of the things with cognitive behavior therapy is about changing thoughts and yet in buddhism we don't talk about changing thoughts so how what's the integration of that how do you how do you straddle that well in a way i disagree with you because i think buddhism teaches that karma is created through thought through speech and through action and then we talk about changing karma so um which is changing one's thinking changing one's speech and changing one's action so i think cbt does resonate with those aspects of buddhist teaching that if one changes correct thought correct speech and correct action uh let's then, talk about karma because i mean in a way just for the listener's sake i think it's really important that karma isn't linear and actually there are so many things that can impact karma it's not just about necessarily changing your thinking it's about country karma that you've been born into it could be because it's raining one day there are there is so many things that impact karma but what i do want to come back to is in buddhism it's it basically we don't push you don't push away anything uh, the the what happens is is that a thought can arise and you just aren't pulled by it so you don't have to try and change it it's that the thought doesn't have the same gravitational pull and you don't act out on it that's that's the difference in terms of changing which is why i'm saying because cognitive behavior therapy is really you change the thought in buddhism you as you say you become aware you become aware of these thoughts arising you become aware of what's happening in the body and you don't act on it you realize that actually is it going to be beneficial acting on this thought or is it going to be miserable because quite honestly harvey i still have the thought of sometimes wouldn't it be nice to have a glass of champagne and a spliff i don't try and change it it's like oh mm, i just i just it, it just doesn't have the same pull. It's come. I might say, oh, what's what's going on in, 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 in the moment? Yeah. Okay. And then the other thing I thought was... I think really... that's really interesting. I think... Go on. Because um, I, I, I'd like to explain, because that really resonates with the teachings within the Lotus Sutra. And in the Lotus Sutra, we have there's the Ten Worlds teaching. Um, which is saying that there are six lower paths and four noble paths and that all this exists within life. And then when I talk to my clients and teach them this Dharma, that's what they like because it's an acceptance of that there is a hell state 
there is a hungry state there is an instinctual animalistic state you know there's all these lower life state there is anger yeah there is tranquility there is rapture heaven state and that this is all part of life so you don't deny it you know what you do is bring out its enlightened aspect by using your enlightened life state to pull those other worlds through and then you can use them in a positive way so they they like that because there's no trying to avoid these it's a fact of life that hell exists within our life and anger exists within our life and hunger exists within our life and it's a question of how we use those forces of life to further us on our way on our inner way on our on our path that's a beautiful teaching and it's not a teaching i'm familiar with so definitely i will reach out to you to um send me information about that i just also again i loved it when you were talking about the emotional and boredom um being an emotion because as we know in buddhism we we talk about vedana which is a hedonic tone which is feeling and that there are only in buddhism we talk about free feelings um pleasant unpleasant neutral and i see boredom as being that neutral and actually it can be the biggest trigger in fact we know that for some people they've been in rehab they come out of rehab and things get a bit boring and that's the trigger which gets them going out and picking up and relapsing again so it's really great that you integrate boredom as as an emotion so just really as we're, we're coming I, I i could talk to you for hours actually and i'm sure we'll talk again but i really do want to talk about nishirin and the namnyoho renge kyo and how perhaps if you could explain that and perhaps how some of our listeners could begin to use this 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 chant this 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 mantra to help with their recovery well that's quite a big topic <laughs> but i will do my best well myoho renge kyo is the title of the lotus sutra itself um every chapter begins myoho renge kyo as translated from chinese because you have to understand in a japanese tradition most of the most of the buddhist teachings were introduced from china and um and by the korean peninsula and into japan in fact it was the end of the northern mahayana transmission in uh, buddhist history um so it was translated from the chinese so it's translated from the classical chinese with a japanese phonetic so myoho and the thing about chinese uh, ideograms or the way they write is that it is the most amazing form of writing on planet earth because within one ideogram you can have infinite levels of meaning within one character so it's a wonderful way of portraying ideas and principles in one character and let's just say so like let's say if you take the word england when you say england when within england is all of england you know is you can in that within that word is all the counties of england or the cities of england or the problems of england it's all encapsulated in that one word england 
So if you like, within those phrases, is that is encapsulated in those is the essence of Mahayana Dharma. And I, I could break down because uh, it's five syllables, really. And Nam is Namu, which means to devote or to make effort, to make effort, to take action. Myoho uh, is Myo is the unseen and ho is the seen. So in your life, you have the surface of your life, you have your physical aspect. And then there's the unseen aspect, or in the West we call it spiritual. I kind of try to avoid that word because it's got so many connotations. But so it's the seen and the unseen aspect, or Myo means latent and ho means manifest. So it's something that's both latent and manifest and something that is seen and unseen. Yeah, it's also myo is, if you like, death and ho is life, phenomena. Mm -hmm. So it's life itself, it's this force of life, Myoho. Now within Myoho is the lotus or Renge, Renge being lotus. And the lotus symbolizes within this moment of Myoho, the law of cause and effect or karma. Mm -hmm. Because the lotus flower is the only flower that seeds, flowers and seeds simultaneously. Most flowers have to seed first and then the fruit. It comes later. But, but with the lotus, it flowers and seeds at the same time, which symbolizes this law of karma or cause and effect, which is simultaneously within your heart. So if you like, you've got the different levels of reality. And then kyo is the voice. Or sound. So kyo also means sutra, mm-hmm. the voice of the Buddha. And kyo is vibration. And kyo also represents the interconnectedness of all phenomena. So within myoho renge kyo is the ultimate law of life and death and the universe within this moment. I hope I did that quite well because what we're trying to discuss here is um, the true entity of life and the true aspect of reality that was that was really that was really beautiful and i just want to come back to this lotus image um, in in my tradition we we refer to when the buddha talks about us being lotuses and and some of us are still in the mud Mm -hmm. and some are still trying to come through and then there is the lotus that is fully bloomed and comes through. So those of us with the addictions, we're still in the mud. And there is always the potential for us to, to, to come through. So I'm actually, I'm going to ask you, I, I'd really love um, for us to end with you, with you um, chanting just for a couple of minutes. I think that'd be really beautiful for, for our listeners. And before I do that, how can people find you? Where, where, where can we find you? Plug yeah, I'm, 
I'm a hidden gem. I'm a hidden gem. At the moment, I only use. I've got. I'm, I've got a Facebook page. I'm. I'm really loath to use all these mediums, but I do live in the 21st century, unfortunately, and so I have to use the beast, if you know what I mean. I, I call it the beast because I'm not a big. I, I just see the greed and the poison that dwells within the system that we dwell in at the moment and the state of the planet, which was another discussion. Um, so I use Facebook and Sun Lotus Recovery, Sun Lotus Buddhist Recovery is a is a Facebook page. And on there I put the links to the groups. And then we also have a WhatsApp group that if you come along, you can join the WhatsApp group and you'll get links to the to the meetings. Um, yeah, and as I said, I use Amazon to publish my book. So uh yeah, if you'd like to find us, that that's where you'll find us. I'm I've, I'm getting a gentleman who practices a Vietnamese form of Buddhism. Uh, he comes along to our groups, and I've getting a. I'm starting to go a little bit global, which is what I'd love to do. Um, and I've got a lady from France who's coming along to our group as well at the moment. Fantastic, great addition. I really hope. Um, people seek you out i've just really enjoyed speaking to you and let's hear the the chance for a couple of minutes i'll ring a bell when to to end okay nam yo ho nam yo ho Dam yo renge yo nam yo renge yo nam yo renge yo nam yo renge yo nam yo renge yo Horenge yo nam 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 yo horenge yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo Horenge yo nam 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 yo horenge yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo Horenge yo nam yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo Horenge yo nam 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 yo horenge yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo Horenge yo nam yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo nam yo horenge yo 
I'm Vimla Sara, President of the Buddhist Recovery Network. Our mission is to help promote the use of Buddhist teachings and practices to help people recover from the suffering caused by addictive and or compulsive behaviors. Our organization is a volunteer-run nonprofit which has expenses. We offer free monthly live teachings on the Academy free resources on our website, and all our podcasts are free. We also organize a bi-yearly summit where many of us come together. We rely on the generosity of you, our listeners, and our interviewees in order to produce these offerings. We are asking you to donate to help with our expenses. Thank you. And to show our gratitude for your support, all Patreon supporters will receive access to special guided meditations. To unlock these, please offer your support by going to patreon.com forward slash Buddhist Recovery Network. Again, patreon.com forward slash Buddhist Recovery Network. Thank you so much for your generosity. May all beings be free from the roots and the causes of suffering. May all beings be at peace.